Over the last few months, we've been looking at, as I've been preaching, we've been looking at uh, Matthew chapter 5, starting in the Beatitudes. We worked our way through each one of those Beatitudes. I sound a bit echoey at the moment, do I to you? Um, I'm sure that'll get adjusted very quickly. Um, I've got every confidence in the PA team. They're looking a bit nervous now. Um, <laughs> we've been looking at each one of the Beatitudes and uh, seeing what Jesus has got to say about who is blessed, the poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek. We've gone, we've gone through the whole of that, and last time we looked at uh, Jesus saying that we were salt of the earth as his church and light of the world. And now we're coming to a new section, really, um, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And uh, Jesus is going to go on to speak about different things, such as murder and adultery and divorce and uh, swearing and giving uh, uh, same promises, oaths, um, and and things like that. And this is this next chapter. This next passage is a kind of an introduction to that. Um, but it's a, it's quite a challenging passage in itself. This next section from verse seventeen through to verse twenty, because it's one that kind of you read and you can you can either skim through it and get onto the other stuff, or you can read it and it makes you stop and go, "Hey, what's that all about?" Then it's just hard to get your head round. It's quite challenging. Um, but it's good to confront these challenging questions head-on, um, because the Bible is, it doesn't contradict itself, it's clear, even though sometimes it may seem to us that it's, it's contradicting itself, or Jesus is saying something, that someone else has said something totally opposite um, somewhere else. Um, you'll understand that, uh, what I mean about that, in a moment. What Jesus is looking at in this passage, which we'll read in a moment, uh, in a few moments, is our attitude towards the Old Testament. The Old Testament, which makes up about three quarters of our Bible, um, and especially the Old Testament law, now that Jesus has come. So he's addressing it uh, to the people who were there at the time, but obviously it's relevant to us as well. Um, and at first it can seem quite clear when we read this passage that, uh, that, that Jesus is, is saying, in fact, let's read it and then we'll talk about what it makes, <laughs> makes clear. Otherwise it's not clear at all, is it? <laughs> Let's read the passage. Matthew 5, verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law, until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So this might seem quite clear, um, but um, we can read other verses in the New Testament which make it quite clear as well that actually the Old Testament law isn't relevant anymore and that there's freedom from it Um, and uh, and that, you know, there's now grace uh, to us as well. Um, So it seems to fit with what Paul teaches about the Old Testament law as well, just that we're not free from the law. We're now free from the law. Romans 7, um, so we'll look at Romans 7 and verses 4 to 6, which Arnold looked at the other week. Um, says this, so my brothers, you also died to the law. You died to the law. 
through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies, so we both fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we've been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. So, Romans 7, Arnold's been preaching the other week, we've been released from the law. We've been set free from the law. Um, And so, the disciples and the early church could have been uh, forgiven for thinking that they'd they'd understood what it was about. They'd understood that now Jesus had come, the law wasn't relevant anymore. In fact, Jesus, um, Jesus by his actions sometimes, would uh, would have... seemingly made that clear. For example, there's an ex- uh, I think uh, in one of the passages in the New Testament, maybe in Luke's Gospel, I can't remember exactly, but he's going through um, the cornfields and the disciples are picking ears of corn to eat on the Sabbath. And, uh, and the Pharisees uh, and the teachers of the law are saying, well, what are you doing? You shouldn't be eating uh, anything. You shouldn't be picking corn on the Sabbath. It's breaking the Sabbath. Uh, it seems quite clear. And Jesus says at that time, well, you know, man wasn't made for Sabbath. Uh, but the Sabbath for man. Um, in other words, he seems to give, give him the impression that it's not really relevant anymore. And we can think too that now Jesus has come, we don't need to bother with the Old Testament. We don't need to bother with the Old Testament law. In fact, we don't need to, they're outdated, uh, they just seem very rigid. Um, in fact, why do we need to bother with the Old Testament at all? Let's just have the New Testament. And of course, you can go to a Christian bookshop and you can buy just the New Testament if you want. And people often do that. Um, maybe if someone is new to the church or just becoming a Christian interested, they'll, they'll just get given a New Testament. Well, and, and maybe Christians will say to them, actually, this is the main thing you need to be interested in. You need to really just be concerned about the New Testament. It's about Jesus. Don't concern yourself too much about the Old Testament. Just concentrate on what Jesus said maybe what some of the other letter writers in the New Testament said, maybe Paul. Um, The Old Testament, really, we can kind of have in our minds, is only good for some of the stories that we might read to kids, because they're quite good stories. So we can maybe use the Old Testament to talk about Noah and uh, and Daniel in the lion's den and um, Jonah and the whale. But if our kids sort of say, well, what's that got to do with Jesus? We can maybe think, oh, I'm not really that clear what that's got to do with Jesus. It's just kind of a nice story, isn't it? Um, we might struggle to find and understand how the Old Testament actually fits in with the New Testament. When Dan stands up to preach um, and he, he says, right, we're going to preach from the book of Habakkuk, we might think, why on earth is Dan doing that? And Jesus... <laughs> Jesus does address this head-on. He doesn't address head-on why Dan is preaching from Habakkuk. But he addresses this whole issue of the law. Uh, and as maybe thinking it's totally irrelevant. And he says, don't think, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them and fulfill them. You know, not until heaven and earth disappear. That, that kind of means never. I guess our equivalent expression is, until hell freezes over, we might say, oh, it's not going to happen until hell freezes over. You know, Jesus is saying, until heaven and earth disappear, it's not going to happen. Not the smallest letter, not the smallest stroke of a pen will disappear from the law. And anyone who breaks any of the least 
of these commandments. You think, what? Any of the least of these? There seems to be so many of these commandments. But anyone who breaks one of the least of them or teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. And we can kind of think, okay, you've kind of explained that the Old Testament and the Old Testament law isn't, isn't completely irrelevant now. But you've given us another problem. You've given us quite a, a big problem. It's a huge problem, actually, because Jesus seems to be saying that the Old Testament law is here to stay. Not only that, but his followers have to keep it. Not only that, but they have to do a better job of it than the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Verse 20, I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses, is greater than that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. He seems to be saying that unless we do better at keeping the Old Testament law than the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, we won't even be entering heaven, the kingdom of heaven. And we might think, well, maybe the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were rubbish at this. You know, we, we read about the Pharisees and the teachers of the law in the, in the New Testament, in the Gospels. They kind of come across as the bad guys sometimes, don't they? The pantomime villains of the piece where they say something and Jesus quite cleverly turns it around and makes them look stupid. And um, we think, oh, that's great. You know, a bit like they're always thwarted at every turn. The people that everyone loved to hate, maybe the, the Simon Cowell of, of the day or Craig Revel Horwood or whichever, depending on which channel you want to watch. Um, you know, the, these, these sort of people who thought they knew it all, but, but really they were a bit, a bit silly. Actually, in the day of Jesus, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were highly respected. They were very well thought of. They had dedicated themselves to God's word. They dedicated themselves to the Old Testament law. They, they wanted to take it very seriously, whereas others might think, oh, I'm not too bothered about it. They were like, no, 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 we, we're very meticulous about this. They gave special emphasis to uh, being pure before God, ritual purity and observing the Sabbath, and to tithing, giving 10% of your, giving your money, a certain amount of your money. Um, and they, it was meticulous. Their whole life, was about keeping this Jewish law. That was their whole life. And Jesus seems to now be saying, you've got to do a better job than them. Because unless you do a better job than them, you certainly will not enter the kingdom of heaven. This is a big problem. This is a huge problem. Is that what Jesus is really saying? I mean, we, you, know, you might think, oh, well, let's just skip that passage. We don't really understand it. Let's skip it. No, but what was Jesus meaning? What was he saying? On the one hand, you have Paul, the apostle, saying, we died to the law. And on the other hand, we've got Jesus saying, we've got to do far more than the religious leaders who devoted their life to it. So is Paul disagreeing with Jesus here? Is Jesus disagreeing with Paul? And some uh, scholars, some people who study the Bible uh, and, and write essays and articles and books about it would say, actually, yes, Paul is disagreeing with Jesus. They had a totally different viewpoint on this. They just did not see eye to eye. Well, that isn't what we believe, because we believe that the Bible uh, helps us to interpret itself. So we can come to things which might seem a bit of a challenge and actually work it through. Does Paul disagree with Jesus? Should we be actually doing more 
more teaching on the law? Should we be saying to Dan, uh, let's, let's spend more time on, on the Old Testament? Never mind uh, Habakkuk, let's go back to, uh, to Deuteronomy and Leviticus. Let's sort of spend a lot of time looking at that and teaching that we've got to do all of those things so that we can fully keep it. That's the big question that we're looking at today. Let's start with this question of whether Jesus disagrees with Paul. On the face of it, it seems that is the case. Uh, We've already seen what Paul says in Romans 7. Let's have a look further on at Romans 10, if we're not convinced by what Paul's view is on the law. Romans 10 and verse 4, he says this, Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. That seems pretty clear. Christ is the end of the law. Jesus says, do not think I have come to abolish the law. Hey, Christ is the end of the law. Don't think I've come to abolish the law. It seems as though there's a big disagreement here. And in fact, we see that the early church tended to follow um, this this thing of of Christ being the end of the law because they abandoned the uh, food laws that were set up about what you could and couldn't eat fairly early on. Acts 11, verse 8 to 10 I won't read it now particularly, but that's where the reference is. That's where um, uh, Peter um, gets the vision uh, from God of this big sheet coming down from the sky uh, with all these different animals in and and, uh, and foods, uh, most of which were considered by the Jews unclean, and this voice saying, eat this food. And Paul said, how can I eat what is unclean? And uh, this voice from heaven, God says, uh, do not... In fact, I will read it just to get it right so that I don't get the quote wrong. Acts 11, verse... 10, um, Paul says, uh, God says, uh, verse 9, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. In other words, you know, don't say it's impure, even though the Old Testament law said it was impure, God has made it clean. So it seems like Paul is very different to Jesus on this. But actually, on this issue of food laws and about what you eat and what you don't eat and do you eat foods which are unclean, Jesus actually seems to be agreeing here. Matthew 15 and verse 11, Jesus says, Listen and understand, what goes into a man's mouth doesn't make him unclean. But what comes out of his mouth is what makes him unclean, the words that come out of his mouth. What goes into a mouth, food, that doesn't make him unclean. So it seems that maybe it's not that different after all. Maybe Jesus is is kind of not saying you've got to keep all of these Old Testament laws rigidly the way that the Pharisees would have done. And actually, if Jesus was saying that, why doesn't he commend the Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers of the law? Why doesn't he say, look, you know, this is what you need to do. You need to live a life which is, which is dedicated to keeping these laws. Look at the Pharisees and the scribes. They're doing a great job of it. You know, they've given their life to it. Why isn't he commending them? Why isn't he seeing that they're doing that? Instead of actually, he, he, he's the, totally the opposite. He seems to be very dismissive of them all the way through the New Testament, all through the way through the Gospels. Jesus must be meaning something else. He can't be disagreeing with Paul, and that is the case. He is saying something other than what it seems he's saying here. And the key to that is in this word, verse 17 of Matthew chapter 5, fulfill. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. 
to fulfill them. That doesn't mean what we might think it means. It doesn't mean Jesus is saying, I've not come to abolish them, but to keep them. Or to do them all. That's not what he's saying. To fulfill them means to bring fully into being. Or to fill full. You can turn it the other way around. Fulfill means to fill full. To bring it fully into being. In other words, what he's saying here is that everything in the Old Testament, both the Old Testament law and the prophetic books, were looking forward to the coming Messiah. That's what the Old Testament was doing. It was kind of saying something better is coming. The Messiah is coming. God is going to be doing something in an amazing way, much fuller than it is at the moment. This is almost just a taster of it. This is a, a little inkling of what it's about. But it's going to come in its fullness, in the Messiah. And Jesus is saying, and now it's here. Now I have come to fulfill it. Now everything in the Old Testament, in the Jewish laws, the Jewish Torah, and their scriptures, and their prophets, everything is coming to fulfillment to be summed up in one person. Jesus Christ. He says in himself in Matthew 11 and verse 13, gives us a clue of this, Matthew 11 and 13. He says, for all the prophets and the law prophesied, in other words, told of something that was to come, until John. All the prophets and the law prophesied until John. So everything in the Jewish scriptures in our Old Testament was prophesying towards this Messiah coming, how long until John the Baptist came, and at that point was when Jesus came on the scene. And that was when the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, prophecies were fulfilled. And all that the law was saying was fulfilled. In other words, how can the Old Testament be ignored or abolished or to be said, It's not relevant anymore. Because it was Jesus, the Messiah, who brought them into this new era. Everything is saying about what Jesus is. The whole of the Old Testament is telling us about what Jesus is. You can preach the gospel from virtually any passage in the Old Testament. Because it's talking about Jesus. Now, the Jews at the time didn't always understand that. They didn't get it. Things would happen that G- when Jesus came along and Jesus would say, you shouldn't be surprised about this because it's here in your scriptures. But they, they hadn't seen it. But it is there. It is there in the scriptures. Let's have a look uh, at a few examples. The prophets are those that most obviously point to Jesus. There are prophecies in the Old Testament all over the place. There are prophecies about his birth um, and even the place of his birth. And these are the passages that we'll often hear at Christmas, won't they? For example, Isaiah chapter 9, um, where, and verse 6 following, where we read, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He'll be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And that passage goes on, as we know, prophesying about Jesus. Prophesying about Jesus. Um, in the book of Micah, the book of Micah, and this is one which uh, is going to be tricky for me to find because it's a small one. I noticed. Um, chapter, Micah chapter 5, 
and verse 2 even prophesies where Jesus is going to be born. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler of, uh, over Israel, whose origins, origins are from old, from ancient times. Um, and, it, and again, it goes on to talk about Jesus. It talks about the place of his birth. So you get prophecies all the time. In, in Isaiah 53, you get that amazing prophecy. The whole chapter is about Jesus, the suffering servant, talking about his death and how he lives his life and how he responds to the accusations and the hatred and anger that comes to him. Um, we even have prophecies about Jesus' death in the, in the Psalms, in the poetry of the Old Testament. Um, for example, Psalm 22 uh, starts with, the, with familiar words to us if we know about Jesus' death. Psalm 22 starts off, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Prophesying the same words that Jesus uttered on the cross. The rest of that psalm as well, in various places, talks about how Jesus is going to die. Thousands, you know, many years, maybe not thousands, that many years before Jesus died. For example, verse 6 to 8, I am a worm and not a man, scorned by men, despised by the people. All who see me mock me, they hail insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, let the Lord rescue him, let him deliver him since he delights in him. You read the passages about Jesus' death, and you get the people shouting the same thing. Oh, he trusts in God. Let God save him then. Um, In verses 16 to 18, dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing, all of the same things that are going on. And the people at the time wouldn't have realized necessarily, they didn't, most of them, that this was talking about Jesus. This was a foretelling of how Jesus was going to die. But Jesus is saying, it is, look, it's all summed up in me. As he's saying this, he hadn't even died yet, but now we have got the advantage. We can see all of these things. Um, We get other passages in the Old Testament pointing forward uh, to God's bringing in of the Gentiles and encompassing them, which is amazing to say that the Old Testament is generally written to just a specific nation of Israel, but it's talking about how God's going to gather in the nations and the Gentiles. Um, It talks about the times, uh, what would happen at Pentecost, um, and Peter um, starts his message at Pentecost in Acts 2, and he starts to say, uh, in effect, well, why are you surprised about these things happening? He says, this is what was spoken about by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams, etc., etc." Peter's saying, look, it's there. It's in the Old Testament. Why are you surprised that it's coming about? Why are you surprised about what happened in Jesus' life? Why are you surprised about the Spirit being poured out now? Why are you surprised about the Gentiles being brought in? Because it's all here in the Old Testament. It's all here in your Scriptures. The law points to Jesus as well. All of these little laws and rules and regulations in in uh, Deuteronomy and Numbers and other parts of the Old Testament as well, they all point to Jesus. Galatians 4.4 says that Christ is born under the law to redeem those from under the law in order that we might receive full rights of sons. 
Um, it talks about how Jesus is born under this law. This law that, that sets out all of these standards that God has set, which only Jesus was able to keep perfectly. The Old Testament law talks about punishment that has to happen for sin. That punishment has to uh, be given, and that punishment is death. They all point to Jesus. Galatians 4.4 says that Christ is born under the law to redeem those from under the law in order that we might receive full rights of sons. Um, It talks about how Jesus is born under this law. This law that, that sets out all of these standards that God has set, which only Jesus was able to keep perfectly. The Old Testament law talks about punishment that has to happen for sin. That punishment has to uh, be given, and that punishment is death. Um, and that death is the death that Jesus endured for us. Um, even some of the very confusing rules are just prophecies about what Jesus was going to fulfill in his death, about how uh, his death made us right with God. So all of the Old Testament is still God's word, even the law. It's not as though uh, it's, all been, it's all been dispensed with, it's, it's all been done away with. It's still God's word, but its role has changed because it's not pointing forward to Jesus anymore because Jesus has already come. What God decided during the Old Testament times, what God decided was good, is still good. What God decided was sin is still sin. But we understand it in a different way, and it's because of the Holy Spirit within us that we understand. It's not just that we say, you know, God had a lot of regulations in the Old Testament. He seems quite, you know, he seems quite finickety. He seems quite picky. He seems, he seems as though he doesn't like a lot of things. But hey, the good news is now Jesus has come and we don't have to worry about how we live. We're in grace. Fantastic. You know, we can do whatever we please. That's not what it's about. And in fact, that's what Paul says, isn't it, in Romans. He says, you know, in, he says now that, um, I think it's in Romans 6, what shall we say? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. He says, you've misunderstood it. If, if, I, if I say that, that Christ is the end of the law, that doesn't mean you can do whatever you want. You can just go on sinning. Hey, it's fantastic. God's now had a personality change, and he's now a gracious God. He was a, he was a vicious, vindictive God before, but now he's a loving and gracious God, and this is the God that I'm worshipping, and so why do we have to bother with this old God? It's not an old God. It's the same God. It's the same God all the way through. And Jesus is saying here in Matthew 5 and verse 19 that, you know, if we take the line that actually what God said in the Old Testament just doesn't matter at all, you know, what what God thought was good and, and evil and sin, that's not relevant now. If we take that line, Jesus has got some hard words for us. Anyone who, well, it says here, in verse, what does it say on the screen? Let's pull up um, Matthew 5, verse 19. Because there's a, there's a new version of the NIV being, being published this year. And this is the old one. And I've got the old one as well. Um, the old version says in this verse, anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Um, the, new, um, the new one says, sets aside. Anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commandments. And 
that the new version is a better translation. So go and buy it from the bookshop downstairs. Um, <laughs> anyone who sets aside, anyone who says they're not important. So it's not about whether you break them or not. He's, it, actually, Jesus wasn't talking about what you do at that point. He was talking about, you know, anyone who says it's not important, anyone who sets aside uh, these teachings will be the least in the kingdom of heaven. He says, don't dismiss them. Don't just make out that, that they're nothing to do anymore. Don't make out that God has changed his mind on, on these things. They'll be the least in the kingdom of heaven. You won't be high in God's esteem. But at least you'll be in the kingdom of heaven, which is more than can be said for these Pharisees and scribes, isn't it? And why is that? That's the next big question that we come to at the end of this passage. Because if Jesus is saying all this, why is he so hard on the Pharisees and the scribes? Why has he got such a downer on them? Because he's saying your righteousness has to be better than the Pharisees and teachers of the law. And if it's not, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. So what he's basically saying is, they won't enter the kingdom of heaven. Because you've got to be better than them. So they're not, they're not entering the kingdom of heaven. They're outside of the kingdom of heaven. How come? Because they've given their lives to keeping these laws of God. Well, what Jesus is saying is, well, he's not saying you've got to beat the scribes and the Pharisees at their own game. He's not saying you've got to try and keep the law and be better than them. Because actually, if we try and do that, we will only fail. The problem with the scribes and the Pharisees is they were, they were very dedicated to the law, but where there was an Old Testament uh, law or scripture, they invented ten others to add to it, which they then tried to make people take on board as well. Um, a, an example of this comes in the parable that Jesus teaches of the Pharisee and the tax collector, where you get this Pharisee coming to the temple to pray, and he prays this um, he, he stands up in verse 11 and he says, um, God, I thank you, I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. And then he says, I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. He fasts twice a week. But, you see, the Old Testament never said you had to fast twice a week. In fact, if you're looking in the Old Testament, it says you fast once a year. But the Pharisees had, had changed it and said, oh, let's be really holy. Let's look really godly and spiritual and, and worthy. So we're not, once a year, that's just too easy. We're going to fast twice a week. And we're going to try and put this burden on everyone else and make them feel bad that they're not fasting twice a week. These tax collectors, what do you think you're doing? You know, but I fast twice a week. I'm much better than them. He's trying to make out that he's so much better than everyone else because of what he does. They came up with all sorts of rules and regulations. That's what Jesus was talking about with this whole picking corn business. He was saying, look, you know, who says you can't pick corn? They had these, they made up so many regulations about the Sabbath, about what you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath. It got absolutely ridiculous. And Jesus is saying, look, it's not about the Sabbath. It's not about having to adjust your life and just be you know, not eat or, or because you're hungry or whatever it was because it's the Sabbath. It's not about the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. The Sabbath was God's merciful provision to us to have a day of rest. 
He says, and, and, and you Pharisees, you've changed it into something where everyone goes, oh, they don't, they don't get to the Sabbath day and think, yeah, it's the Sabbath, fantastic, a day of rest, a day of enjoyment of God. They go, oh, it's the Sabbath. Oh, we've got to now remember 3,000 rules about what we can and can't do. Oh, no. There's no enjoyment there. And Jesus is saying, what have you done? What have you done to these ru- to, in all these rules and regulations? It's all outward appearance because your hearts are not right anyway. You can't be right before God. Romans 3 uh, explains that to us, doesn't it? Romans 3 and verse 10, it says, that, you know, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away, all have become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. We cannot achieve favor with God or with Jesus. Jesus saw it in the Pharisees. It's the same with us and God. We can't get favor with God by trying to keep rules and regulations, by trying to look good, by trying to look holy. And Jesus is saying, look at yourselves. Don't look at what you like on the outside. Oh, very impressive. Very impressive. But what's going on on the inside? And in in Matthew 23, if you want to know what Jesus thought about the Pharisees, just read Matthew 23. It's a whole chapter where he just lays into them. Scathing attacks on the Pharisees. You know, woe to them. I think he says seven times, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of heaven in men's faces, and you yourselves aren't even going to enter. Uh, Nor will you let those enter who try to. He says, you know, you're you're just hypocrites. Woe to you, teachers of the law, you Pharisees. What else does he say? Um, Verse 23, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, yet you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the inside of the cu- outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. He wasn't talking about them doing the washing up there, by the way. He was talking about what they were looking like on the outside, all nice and clean and holy, um, they thought. But inside, they were full of greed and self-indulgence. And then he says later on, you are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside. But inside, they are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. These people might have looked the part. They might have looked spiritual. They might have looked good. But Jesus sees right through it. And he says they're full of dead men's bones. Can you imagine them squirming in their seats if they heard any of that? And that's what God says to us as well. We can look good on the outside. The Pharisees managed it. And we can manage it too. We can look spiritual. We can look holy. But he says, what's going on on the inside? If you want to know what you're really like, don't judge it by how you present yourself to others. Judge it by how you are when you are on your own. Judge it by what you do when you're on your own. Judge it by what you think when you're on your own. Judge it by your desires and your imagination. That's what's really going on. 
that no one else sees, apart from someone does see it. God sees it. Jesus saw it with the Pharisees, and God sees it today with us. Many, many people get caught up in religion today, like the Pharisees do. did. They can look respectable. They can go to church meetings. And you know, they can invent a lot of little rules as well that make them seem better. I remember a, a church that I, a, a meeting that I used to go to, Church of England, they had this thing um, as part of the meeting called the, um, the, 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 I think they called it passing the peace. Or it was something to do with, you had to shake hands with someone anyway. You had to say, peace be with you. And then you, and then you shook hands with the person who was next to you or behind you. Um, but I upset everyone at this church. I hesitated to call it a church, actually, because it wasn't really a church, because a church technically is people who believe in Christ. And, and most of these people, I would say, didn't. But because they were, they were like this sort of people. They were very nice, very respectable. They invented a lot of little rules. I really upset them. Do you know how I upset them? I upset them because I, I got out of my seat and I crossed the aisle and I shook hands with someone across the other side of the church building. They had meetings about me doing this. They did. No, I'm not joking. They wrote letters to me telling me I hadn't to do it anymore. They sent people from the PCC to come and speak to me. Honestly did. They inv- Does it say that in the Bible? No, they invented rules to look good, to be respectable, Where will it end? People will be hugging each other soon. (laughs) Kissing each other. On the cheek. (laughs) That's the point. It will never stop. (laughs) That's what they thought. They wanted to keep a tight control over things. Pharisees. You can look respectable. You can be part of the PCC. And, and please hear me right. I'm not just criticizing all Anglican churches. But I tell you what, we can go too far the other way. We can go too far the other way and say, oh, well, anything that calls itself a church, anyone that calls themselves Christians, oh, we'll just have to accept that that's the case. Jesus didn't accept that that was the case. Jesus didn't say, oh, well, you think, you know, you're calling yourself religious. That's all okay then. He actually launched attacks on them. Now, we're not about just necessarily launching attacks on other, other people and other groups. We want to preach the truth. But we're not going to soft soap it. We're not just going to say, oh, they're all okay. Oh, the Catholics, yeah, they're fine, aren't they? They've got a few different views to us. but No, they're fundamentally different. Fundamentally different. Let's not pretend otherwise. These people are outside of the kingdom of heaven. And it's not any different today. God isn't bothered about what we do. He isn't bothered about the rules that we set up. He isn't bothered about how well we keep them and how respectable we are. What he's bothered about is our hearts and what is going on on the inside of us. And I've mentioned that Jesus here fulfills the whole law. And it's in Jesus that we see how we're meant to live. And he's going to go on and explain that in these other verses coming up. And they'll need a bit of unpacking as well. But he's going to explain that. He was born under the law. He perfectly fulfilled the law. The law demanded that a death had to be carried out as punishment for sin. And that is what Jesus did. He died so that our sin 
could be punished and forgiven and dealt with on the cross. And then he rose to a new life um, that whoever believes in him and follows him can also rise to a new life of obedience to him with the Holy Spirit filling us and helping us and guiding us in our life. We've got God inside us. It's what's inside us that matters. And we've got God inside us by the Holy Spirit and he shows us what's right and what's wrong. And we have the scriptures and we can discern it. And it's not about following the strict letter of the law because all that was doing was pointing to Jesus. But neither is it just disregarding what God says either. It's about a new understanding of what it means to please God. It's a realization that we can't do it by trying our best or trying even harder. It's seeing that Jesus has already pleased God and that we can be identified in him and we can be forgiven receiving his righteousness. As I read this passage, as I said, it, 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 it can sound confusing. There's a guy who I, I read a very helpful commentary on this. Some commentaries are less than helpful. But this was a very helpful commentary um, uh, by a guy called R.T. France. And he paraphrased this passage, actually, um, to give a better under, what he felt was a better understanding of what Jesus was saying. So he's trying to communicate some of this. I'm going to read it as, as to what he's paraphrased it, if you can maybe try and follow it. Because um, I think it's helpful to get into our heads. He, he feels that what Jesus is really saying in this passage is this. Do not suppose that I came to undermine the authority of the Old Testament scriptures, and in particular the law of Moses. I didn't come to set them aside, but to bring into reality that to which they pointed forward. I tell you truly, the law, down to its smallest details, is as permanent as heaven and earth, and will never lose its significance. On the contrary, all that it points forward to will in fact become a reality and is now doing so in my ministry. So anyone who treats even the most insignificant of the commandments of the law as of no value and teaches other people to belittle them is an unworthy representative of the new regime. While anyone who takes them seriously in word and deed will be a new member of God's kingdom. But don't imagine that by simply keeping all these rules will bring salvation. For I tell you truly, it's only those whose righteousness of life goes far beyond the old policy of literal rule-keeping, which the scribes and Pharisees represent, who will prove to be God's true people in this era of fulfillment. God has been working out his plans and purposes for years, long before Jesus was born. It's not as though he's had a change of heart. It's not as though he suddenly decided at the end of... uh, Malachi in the Old Testament, do you know what? It's just not working. I'm gonna, we'll have 400 years of silence while I work on plan B. <laughs> we laugh, but some people see it like that. Some people see it, it's like the Old Testament, that didn't work. The New Testament, that's what we're going to be about. No, that's not what it was. His plan has always involved Jesus living and dying and rising for us to do, fulfill all that the law points towards. We can't disregard the Old Testament because it casts light on the New Testament and it helps us to understand it. And it's the same the other way around. The New Testament helps us to see the fullness of what God was doing in the Old Testament. And in those times, only a few people grasped it, you know, like Abraham and David. They had some idea in faith of what God was going to do. But most people didn't. But neither do we commit ourselves to following the outward commands of the Old Testament law. We've got a new law written on our hearts 
by the Holy Spirit. And we walk with him. As I've said, God's far more concerned with how we are on the inside than by what we do to look impressive. So we give ourselves daily to following Jesus, to repenting of our sins, to to giving ourselves to following him, trusting in him, trusting in his righteousness, and living holy lives by the Spirit's power. Let's pray.